Welcome to my Solo 401k Financials podcast. We're very excited to have as our guest and as our topic today, uh, unrelated business income tax and unrelated debt finance income tax. It's a hot topic for our clients and our followers of our website and social channels. Uh, we have a real expert in this area, Stephen Hamilton. Um, so welcome, Stephen. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited to talk about tax and especially the strategies that we have with retirement accounts. Excellent. Yeah, well, we appreciate your time. I know um, it's probably been um, a hectic and busy time. How's, how, how has life been in this brave new world that we're in? Well, it's, it's been a definite uh, line in the sand between the procrastinators. Um, we've had people coming out of the woodwork who haven't filed tax returns in five years. We have individuals who are looking to plan early withdrawals, et cetera, taking advantage of, of some of the uh, CARES Act. So it, it's been a, been a little exciting um, on top of, you know, the usual um, people who like to kind of slack and provide stuff at the last minute. But it, it's been a fairly nice balance overall. I can't complain. Well, that's like great. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, I know the IRS has been in with the laws and the IRS guidance coming out. It's, there's been plenty of topics to digest and yeah they, they only dropped an 880 page law in the middle of tax season no <laughs> <laughs> right. retroactive retroactive. <laughs> retroactive yeah perfect so now tell us um where are you at geographically steven oh, that's actually a great question um my wife's also an enrolled agent so what happens is we actually bounce back and forth between illinois and florida so we have okay. uh, a nice presence down in Florida and I spend a lot of time up in Chicago. Um, we kind of have the best of both worlds going on at the moment. Okay. So if you are coming from Chicago, you must be on the Gulf side then I'm guessing. Is that right? Um, when we're down there, yes, we're, we're on the Gulf side. Yeah. It seems like the folks from the Midwest go to the Gulf side and the East coast, it goes to the Atlantic. Yeah. I think you're right on that one. I never noticed that, but yeah, that, that sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. My, my, uh, my grandma was down in, my grandparents were down in the, uh, Sarasota when they were alive. So beautiful beaches. They got those wonderful white sandy beaches. As well. What's that? I know that IRS office well. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Luckily, I, when I'm down there, it's just for vacation. So uh, try not to think about the IRS. I have um, about 10 cases with that office right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, why don't we get started? Uh, we've got some slides to flip through, and you can just guide us through these slides, maybe. And I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll hit the switch, and I'll um, maybe chime in with some dumb questions. So that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. All right, thanks, Stephen. Do you want me to start with kind of a quick intro here of uh, what UBIT is and what UDFI is? Exactly. So, yeah, we've got the roadmap here. What is it? You know, what are these topics? How much is it? Examples, and then of course, uh, people want to stay around till the end so they can get more info about how to contact you, how to contact us um, about their situation. So before we get started, though, I should give a disclosure. This presentation is being provided for educational purposes. Should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. When making an investment decision, please consult with your tax attorney and and financial professional. So what is it? What is UBIT? That's a great question. So UBIT, and you'll often see it listed two ways, either UBTI or UBIT. So 
UBIT, unrelated business income taxes, the physical actual tax that you pay, where UBTI, also re referred to as UBIT, is the actual taxable income that is generated from certain, uh, certain entities. I see. The short version. When we have a nonprofit or a retirement account or an entity that normally does not have a tax liability, when they have certain types of income that are not deemed regular investment income, they are subjected to an income tax. The goal is to kind of level the playing field. Otherwise, you would have people who own entire large corporations all through their retirement account, and their goal is to never pay a single dime in income tax ever again. We want to try to avoid that a little bit. So UBIT completely levels that playing field. So we're going to see an IRA, a solo 401k. Um, this will also apply to most nonprofits. Um, that's kind of the short version in there. Um, the goal is to avoid a trader business. So the general purpose of a retirement account is to grow funds for future retirement and to be passive about it. I shouldn't be actively day trading in my retirement account. You know, that's, that's the kind of the general thought. I shouldn't own a McDonald's in my retirement account. That's the right. conventional thinking and the reason behind this tax. Are there ways around that? Yes, they cause a lot of hoops to have to jump through, but it, it's usually not worth it for a reason. Um, so investment income, you know, the items that are typically excluded from being considered taxable income, that would be interest on loans. So let's say, George, let's say you're going to flip a house and you're looking for a hard money loan. And I decide, you know, my retirement account's going to loan that to you. That interest income that's paid back to my retirement account, that's not going to be taxable. You know, my interest on a bank account, savings account, money market, those are not going to be subject to UBIT. Um, the average rental property is not going to be subject to additional tax, um, as well as gains and losses from the sale of real estate. Again, typically not subject to tax. Um, there's some big exceptions to those. Um, if we use debt financing, and I'll get to that in, in just a quick minute as we explain UDFI. Um, annuities and royalties, again, um, unless you hit any kind of specific debt financed realm, you're really, really going to have active income from there. Um, on the royalty mark, um, what's very common is for someone to purchase mineral rights to a property inside of the retirement account. Sure, we've seen that, yep. Perfect, yeah. and you might also have oil royalties as well. Um, also, lease payment, yep. those would typically also be exempt from UBIT itself. So that's usually a pretty good day. Um, dividends from stock in a C corporation. So for example, you you buy 100 shares of Microsoft, and I'm probably gonna use that example a couple of, couple of times in here. Um, those dividends are not going to be taxed to your retirement account. They're considered passive and they're excluded from UBIT. Because Microsoft's a C corporation, right? That's correct. That is correct. Um, yeah. In general, one of the specific realms, it specifies dividends themselves. So that would also apply to mutual funds, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk a little bit further about business income that is generally included in UBIT. That's going to be equity investment in a pass-through entity, you know, your partnership or S-Corp. However, I'm going to warn you on the S-Corp side, you really, really shouldn't have your retirement account own any shares in an S-Corp because that can actually terminate that S-Corp election. Yep, so absolutely. We try to avoid that wherever possible. 
um, barring any kind of specific uh, private letter ruling or tax court determination, I don't anticipate that to change anytime soon. So your retirement account should not own an S-Corp. In fact, you're I, right. ironically enough, you mentioned uh, Sarasota when we were chatting a, a moment ago. Mm -hmm. I uh, just got a call from another accountant down there who client of theirs took on a partner um, in their S-Corp or shareholder in their S-Corp and inadvertently terminated an S-election. <laughs> yeah, great. So it, it does happen. It definitely does happen. Um, rental income from personal. Misery loves company. Misery it, loves yeah. company. <laughs> Amen. Uh, <laughs> rental income from personal property. So if we are, um, I'm going to use the example of an equipment rental. You know, that would be something that would end up included in UBIT and subject to tax. And those tax rates can be pretty darn hefty. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about the tax rates in a second, but just to get the concept down, and you're exactly right. I mean, this, this UBIT doesn't, I mean, the, obviously you're the expert. What I always understand about it, though, is that it's, it's not just a tax that applies to retirement accounts. Think yeah. about it. It could apply to a church could apply to maybe a school or some other where an example college university there you go exactly so these entities that have special tax treatment on, under the law and then all of a sudden they get astray from really the the reason that they got special tax treatment like in the case of retirement accounts saving for retirement all of a sudden or i think of a church you know, they're selling donuts on the weekends and all of a sudden they're making good money selling those donuts. They decide they want to sell donuts every single day of the week and they put out the local donut shop because, you know, the local donut shop has to pay taxes and in the absence of this tax, the church wouldn't. That's exactly, that's exactly the point there. That's exactly why they designed this. Um, you hit a great one on the church and I'm going to use the, that example really quick. Um, a common way that this ends up applying is let's say, um, you know, I don't have any heirs and I decide that I'm going to leave all of my assets to the local church. Well, if I own a small business, that church could end up owning those shares or own shares in a publicly traded partnership. And next thing you know, they have a UBIT liability. Right. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's, that's probably something that they weren't expecting on, you know, get that, you're getting a gift and it's actually more of a pain, you know? That's so, correct. Yeah. That's correct. Um, but, okay, but, well, let's talk about, should we talk about um, debt finance income tax now? Yeah, let's, let's definitely jump over there. All right, so UDFI, unrelated debt financed income tax. Um, yes, the F is before, and there's no T in there. I, I get it. Um, but UDFI, um, it never seems like it's in order, but, and there's no T in UDFIT, so ironically. Yeah. Uh, the income that would otherwise be excluded from unrelated business in taxable income. Oh, this is fun. So I'm going to use that example of a rental property, $100,000 rental property, and it's left to the church, and there's an $80,000 loan on it. Well, 80% of that $100,000 property is going to be subject to tax. And the way and reason that they do this is to prevent that entity from getting a leg up. So we're avoiding income tax by being a 
uh, nonprofit or a deferred tax situation, or in the case of a Roth, it's we, we front loaded the tax. We're going to end up in a situation where that debt financed income, uh, whether it's in a partnership, whether it's stock margin, whether it's that rental property, the goal is for it to have just instead been an investment account. So it's kind of punitive in a way, but they're trying to again level that playing field. If I have, you know, a cash free account, well, why don't I leverage, you know, the, the half a million dollars that's sitting in my retirement account? Why don't I go out there and, and put 20 grand down on, you know, a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of hundred thousand dollar properties over and over and over again. Well, then it's going to be in a situation where that retirement account actually has a leg up on the other right. individuals because it doesn't have a tax liability. I see. So it's still the level, the playing field. I, uh, that's kind of the public policy objective underlying it. Okay. Both of them. Yep. Let's pull, let's unpack it a little bit because it says income that would otherwise be excluded. So, so let's say that you have, let's turn that around. So let's say income that would be included. So let's say that it's a, because let's say it's an Airbnb where you have short term vacation rentals. Yeah. If it's a very short term, average, like, let's say, I think it's less than seven days, then, 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 uh, that income is considered business income. So if it's inside of your 401k, potentially business income, right? So that could be subject to the unrelated business income tax. And even if, so even though you financed it, a hundred percent of the income is included in that case. Yes. So you don't get to, to, um, because with the UDFI, it's based on the ratio, right? It's based on the yeah. race, the, per, the percentage that's financed, which is obviously a moving number because yeah. presumably you're paying that debt down. Yeah. But so you only pay a portion of the only a portion of the income is subject to the tax. But if it's a business income, the fact that that business might have leverage doesn't get you to reduce the part that's taxed. Correct. That is correct. Mm -hmm. But you also don't have to pay a double tax, right? You don't have to pay unrelated yeah. business income and then yeah. pay UDFI on top of that. And, and actually, that, that's a great, great item right there. So UDFI, unrelated debt financed income, is subject to UBIT. That's the easiest way that I can explain it. So it's not an extra tax. It just means that the debt financed portion is then subject to income tax. So mm -hmm. if you can back up a slide for me real quick, we talked sure. about some incomes that are excluded. Okay. So investment income is generally excluded interest from loans. But if I'm leveraging and I borrow $20,000 from Sally and I loan you $40,000 in total, 20 from Sally, 20 from me, I'm paying Sally 2% and you're paying me 10%. Well, I then have debt financed income. So that interest would normally be excluded, but now 50% of it is subject to tax because I borrowed it. Got it. Or if it's like maybe stock on margin. Same thing. Same example. Microsoft, the same Microsoft stock, all of a sudden now some of that income is going to be subject to, some of that income is considered unrelated debt finance income, and therefore that part is subject to UBIT. Yeah. Now, typically, if you're trading on the underlying stock, it's not an issue. 
Um, so think covered calls. Those are usually going to be just fine. Um, it's just an agreement to sell it at that point. Um, now, gains and losses from the sale of real estate. I'm going to jump on that one real quick. Okay. So if we sell a property that's debt financed, a percentage of that sale price is going to be subject to UBIT. And that's another concern that we have. Got it. Okay. But let's talk about the, isn't, but isn't there the exception for qualified plans, real estate that was acquired by a qualified plan? Yes. Now the exception to that, yes, will will apply to qualified plans. Your 401k is going to be the simple version to explain that. Um, that's why I will always pick a solo 401k over an IRA whenever possible. I don't care if somebody is driving for Uber a couple times a year or some self-employment, you know, just something that they do on an ongoing basis that can, as, as self-employment, that can sponsor that retirement account, I, I will push for all day long. Um, ideally, it's going to fit great for your, real, your realtor, your um, self-employed salesman, et cetera. But yeah, your solo 401k is going to be the hands down ace in the hole if you're debt financing real estate. Huge advantage. Okay. Big advantage. Okay, so let's go to, through some examples. Or no, first let's talk about the tax, actually paying the tax, and then we'll talk about some examples. Okay. So let's, can you walk us through this slide, Stephen? Sure. So your first $1,000 is not subject to UBIT. So if I have a thousand dollars of net profit, I, that's going to be exempt, you know, if it's that finance. Then from there, I'm going to, and that's after I've deducted all my expenses, depreciation losses. So the average, average rental property that might show a small tax loss is probably not going to pay anything in UBIT if you're going to be holding it for a while. That said, your UDFI is based on the average debt ratio. And if you have a year that's really good, rent, go, rent continues to skyrocket, and now you are showing a net profit. Well, if you're showing a $5,000 net profit and you have a, let's say an interest-only non-recourse loan uh, that covers 50% of it, at that point, you're going to be looking at 50% of that $5,000 net profit being taxable. But then we have our $1,000 reduction in there. So you'd have tax on $1,500. Um, the tax rates though. So if our taxable income itself is not over $2,600, then we pay 10% on it, which 10%, that's not a big deal, that's fine. But then we start to look at if we go up a bracket between 26 and under 9,400. Well, now we're looking at 24%. Mm -hmm. I might as well be holding it outside the retirement account there. Um, is what the average person is going to think. Then right. over 94, but under 13. And keep in mind, that's we're talking about a $3,500 span in there, and you're going to pay 35% on that. It, it skyrockets very quickly. It but does. over that 12,937%, we've already had our top tax bracket. So we have to really plan and really have a great return on investment. Um, the alternative I can say is if it's in a nice Roth account, that's where this type of investment that we know we're going to be paying tax on is probably going to be better off. Um, yes, I'm going to have some small tax on it, 
but I might be looking to kind of leverage a little bit more, knowing I'm not going to be subject to tax when I pull it out later. Because if I have to pay tax on the growth, and then I have to pay tax when I withdraw it, your traditional account starts to look really bad for UBIT. Got it. Okay. That's some good uh, feedback. Now, let me ask some questions. Do I get to reduce my finance? Let's say it's UDFI. Do I, do, do I reduce the income by my loan payments? By the interest portion. So not the whole loan payment. The interest portion. Got it. So and, it would be just like any other rental outside of the retirement account. Got it. And who do I pay it or does my retirement account pay it? Your retirement account's going to be cutting that check. So you better have the funds in there to pay it. Got it. And then, um, and it looks like I'm going to have to pay estimated tax every, exactly. every quarter, I guess, right? If you expect the tax will be $500 or more, that is the case. Um, now, in that type of situation where I mentioned with the rental property, it's mm -hmm. a great opportunity for me to look at maybe using, utilizing a cost segregation or some other strategy where I can offset some of that tax um, and carry over some losses for a few years to help offset some of that income. So there are so do, some strategies we can use. So let me ask you a question, Stephen. Do you, um, where do you like to get involved? It sounds like before the person buys the property. Every step of the way, every step of the way. So I don't actually set up the retirement account itself. I forward people to you guys. We um, do that. We do that. But as far as like, let's say we got a customer, should they come to you with their proposed numbers and you can help them look at, figure out what the tax is going to be. Exactly it. So I want to talk with you before you open up the account to make sure that we're opening up the right account for you because we want to make sure that, hey, you know, somebody might be thinking about an IRA and I can push them towards a 401k just based on the fact of that UDFI not being applicable on a rental. I can't tell you how many people I've saved from that problem. Um, but I want to talk about what that deal is. What are they going to be investing in? You know, what's their strategy going to be? So that way we can make sure that they are doing the right things that they're, and that they're not going to be subject to a ton of tax. They might be better off with some of it in a traditional or some of it in a Roth and figuring yeah. out every situation in between. Right. So there's, it's not always a one size fits all solution. Nothing in taxes. Yeah. My favorite two words are it depends. <laughs> yep. As an attorney, I can relate. Uh, <laughs> uh, great. That's great uh, information. So let's go through some examples. So we've got some common examples listed here. Maybe well, we can uh, pull out some of these and talk about how it might work. Okay. So we talked a little bit about buying rental real estate with a non-recourse loan. So we already kind of talked a bit about that. Um, if you want to talk about it a little bit later, we can jump back in there. Um, this is one of my favorites, a high volume of fix and flips. Um, hey George, do you have a definition of high volume? Um, I mean, it seems like the scuttlebutt has always been more than two. I would kind of agree with that. Um, if it's kind of a casual situation, you are probably fine. I've heard of a case, but I, I haven't been able to track it down um, where somebody supposedly got away with three flips in the side of their retirement account. But I also know that they had a ton of other activity. So they weren't just flipping in that account. And I think mm. they found that that was part of the 
decision in determining if it was an active business. So we look at the combination of everything that's going on. Are you, you might flip two, three houses, but if you have 90% of your portfolio that's sitting in the stock market, I might not be as concerned and it might not reach the level of being a trader business. If you're the person that just wrote the check and you got a check back, well then you probably weren't very active in it. Um, so the rich get richer. I'm not arguing there, not arguing there. <laughs> um, so that really is going to be kind of a, it depends on the exact facts and circumstances of the situation. Yeah. Ooh, second favorite phrase, facts and circumstances. It does. And oftentimes when we're talking about a high volume of flips, it might be a good opportunity for what's called a PLR, a private letter rule. And if we're thinking about doing a whole bunch of flips in there or a high percentage of volume or a certain structure of situation, um, in terms of primarily not being a lender, but being an equity partner, et cetera, I'm probably going to want to say we might want to dot our I's, cross our T's, just to rely on some specific evidence. There's, yes, there's case law in a lot of these, but there's not as much case law as any accountant or attorney would like to see. Um, do they have, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you, do, you, do you have clients that want to go that far very often? to the PLR stage? Um, not very often. Um, usually once I start, I mention the cost of the PLR, they kind of get a knot in their throat because mm. it's the, oh, I might make, you know, five, 10 grand on a flip and I want to do five or six of them. That's not going to be the, the, the real big case for it. We're, we're talking the person who's going to be doing six flips where or three to six flips where they're making 30 to $60,000 a piece. That's where we're talking a high possibility of it being reconstrued or assigned to UBIT. Got it. Okay. And that's where I would, I would really say we want to jump into that. But most of my clients, once we have that conversation, they decide, you know what? I think I'm going to be better off being a lender on these deals sure. <laughs> and avoid yeah. the whole situation. Yeah, yeah, right. Save them some probably some heartache too, or at least some day to day stress. Understatement. Understatement yeah. completely. Um, that said, the power of these accounts is huge. Um, if you are just acting as a lender, and I have clients who are lenders and they might earn, um, they're often lending a higher LTV than normal, which is a little riskier. So a riskier loan means a more lucrative return. Would you agree? Of course. Yeah, that's the idea. Yep. Exactly. So we will often structure those deals for a slightly higher interest rate or potentially a small variable interest rate, depending on the deal. Um, okay. And, but you still have to be careful with that and how it's exactly structured. Um, most sure, of those have a baseline it, interest. Because if the very, because if the variable portion of the rate depends on essentially the underlying business, then sure. that portion could be considered UBIT, right? Or UBTI, excuse me. Yes. Acronym. You're good. You're good. Um, that's, that's exactly the problem. It's exactly the problem. Um, any questions for me on fix and flips? No, that's, that's really uh, good feedback. That's always a hot topic. Um, let's, uh, Airbnb. Okay. I love Airbnb and I'm going to start off on it. Do you think they're going to, do you think they're going to come back? <laughs> A lot of there's a lot of talk that they're done, but it seems like they are coming back. People want to. Yeah, people have cabin fever. 
I agree. I already have a ton of clients that are already getting a ton of bookings back again. So okay. I'm not too concerned about Airbnbs. I don't think it's going to hit the amount of leverage that it was before. I think it kind of had to hit that bubble. Um, towards the end there, you couldn't have gotten me to invest in one because they were popping up everywhere. And that's when we run into problems with everything. Sure. Now, Airbnb is a fun topic. Your average Airbnb is really just a vacation rental. I buy a property on the Gulf Coast. It's a great beach house. And, you know, it'll rent out for three grand a week or more. And I think that one would just be a, a, a prime lovely example. So I keep my average tenancy under seven nights so it remains non-passive. I would be doing that if I own it personally because then I have no limitation for loss. Um, that basis is in IRC 469, which I know nobody's going to go and read that, but for any of the really savvy people who are wondering about it, that's the place to go look it up. We have a lot of engineers that watch and listen. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly who that was for, was the, was the engineers. Um, we love you, engineers. We love you, engineers. You know, I do love engineers. They do their research and they ask great questions. Um, well, you're talking about you're talking about if you had your money in your savings account. That's correct. Inside of a retirement account, I run into that. I don't run into the issue of whether or not I can deduct it or not. If I pay cash for the property, it's just rental income. Especially if I have somebody else managing it, which I want to have somebody else manage it when it's in a retirement account. Um, but that Airbnb in reality is probably not going to be subject to UBIT simply because it's rental income and it hasn't hit the level of a trader business based on the definition of rental income being passive or non-passive. Now that said, I start buying 15 Airbnbs and we set up a management company for all of them. Well, that might start to turn into kind of a, an actual business there. Um, so you really want to kind of watch that line, especially the person who might be looking to do a little bit of arbitrage. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but that's where someone will rent a property under a master lease. Yep. And they will rent it out via Airbnb. <sighs> These costs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know I know, I know a lot of folks that do that, yep. They cause me a ton of stress. I get the strategy, and if you have a great property that somebody doesn't want to sell, or you might have you know, an agreement to purchase it in a couple of years, it might be a great situation. I don't think it's a good idea for your retirement account. I think it's just very dangerous. I think that very easily could be construed as a business, and here's why. I buy a property, a f I buy real property. That real property is an investment. I'm hoping that it's going to appreciate and I'm hoping that it's going to cash flow. If yeah. I'm renting a property and then renting out that property, well, I'm, I'm just kind of trading. That's a little more active in there. Where's my mm -hmm. investment intent? I hear you. It looks like it's more a short-term transaction or a year-long transaction in that case. And it's just going to continue to, to run like that. It looks like a business. And that's where my concern is. Especially um, if that, maybe, maybe a factor is how long the lease is too, right? That is quite possible. Um, 
And I'll be honest with you, the shorter the term of the lease, the, the less likely I'm going to like it. Um, no, I'm talking about the master lease. Like if you have a, yeah, yeah, the yeah, shorter okay. term of that lease, the less I'm going to like it. Um, yeah. That longer term lease shows that, you know, it's just going to kind of sit there for a while and you just wanted to kind of set it and forget it a little bit. Um, but that shorter term means you have to renew it. It means you have to jump in and be more involved. The general test that we would consider is what's the difference between you doing this investment versus researching and purchasing a stock and maintaining it. Okay. That's how they're primarily going to kind of outside looking in. Cause remember if it's under audit, it's not going to be the attorney that's looking at it. It's going to be Joe Lowly IRS agent who mm -hmm. knows the baseline and they're going to assess their opinion. Meanwhile, you're paying fees to your attorney or CPA or your enrolled agent for representation. And by the way, when it comes to that retirement account, it's going to have to come out of the retirement account to pay for it. Right. So we, we really want to make sure that we keep things very clear and concise because I have to go through either an office or a field audit first. Then I have to go into a manager's conference. Then I have to go and file an appeal, a local appeal. Then maybe I file a tax court petition, which gets kicked back to another level of appeal. And at that point in time, you know, you might have just cost yourself as much money as it was worth. And oh, right. by the way, if you use the wrong retirement account to do this, guess what you just cost yourself? Your retirement. Your whole retirement account, potentially. Right. I mean, you're exactly your retirement. So, yep. so it's maybe even if you win, you might lose. And that's exactly it. Um, you know, you have to factor in the hazards of litigation in there. Um, mm -hmm. But to jump right back there on, on that, that exact topic, there are procedures to remedy prohibited transactions in a 401k account. So if somebody accidentally uses personal funds or somebody accidentally makes that kind of mistake with sure. that 401k account, they, there's a procedure to fix it. If right, they, got, they have the fix it guide. What was that? They got the fix it guide. Exactly. Yep. If you do it with an IRA, guess what happens? No fix it guide. It's gone. Yep. It's gone. If you have $300,000 in that retirement account, it's considered distributed at the very beginning of that calendar year. Yeah. January one, which means no 60 day rollover, no, no out there. Um, that, that's where we have a big problem. So I'll pick a 401k time and time again. Um, Yep. George, I know this one comes up all the time here. Buying stock on margin. Yeah, more and more. We're seeing it more and more. Yeah. What are some of the questions that you guys get? Well, we get a lot more about um, just mechanics. Like they're looking for a brokerage that's going to allow them to do it, right? So, okay. and we, um, of course, you know, we educate them on the potential issues from, you know, uh, you, but you're actually an unrelated debt finance income tax perspective, but I mean, that's really at a high level where it comes up from our perspective. The, the joys in, in, in chaos here, buying stock at margin, I would avoid it in my retirement account, to be honest with you. Why is that? The UBIT calculations are going to be a whole lot of fun 
especially if somebody's doing it frequently. Um, mm. Like many people are who are buying on margin are looking to do, it's going to be a problem. The other issue that you have is collateral. How much of your account is collateral? Sure. That's the other piece is that they're, because these are retirement accounts, if they have to put more money into that account, they may be, they may not be able to do that. That's because exactly it would have to come from a rollover or it'd have to come from a contribution. If they are not yeah. eligible to make a contribution or they don't have any more money to roll over, right. they're between a rock and a hard place. Oh, I see it all the time. I, in with other situations, I see it all the time. Um, I do a lot of damage control, to put it mildly. <laughs> so it's good, uh, it's good to talk with you early. It is. And, and all throughout it, talk to me about what's going on. Check in, see, you know, sometimes you just want to bounce an idea. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. You know, we can, we can hold up the stop sign there and say, please don't do that. And here's why. Or sure. here's how we would structure that in, a, in an alternative fashion. You've um, seen this movie before. Uh, and it doesn't end well. It, it doesn't end well. It doesn't well. Um, can you so touch on, before we go on, to, before we run out of time, can you tell it, can you touch on the syndicated? Because that does uh, come up and, um, now and again as well. Syndicated up. real estate transactions, for example. So syndications are great. And we talked a little bit about um, rentals in a retirement account and how we calculate UDFI. It's going to operate very similar um, and almost exactly because your average syndication is buying a long-term property and, and a operating or holding it from there. So your average syndication, you're just going to be receiving a K1 from there. I'm going right. to bit of additional information from the uh, from the um, organization itself but for the most part it's going to operate just like our conversation back up there about rental real estate so whatever your net profit is after after all expenses that amount is going to be subject to UBIT um, or UDFI or sorry UD, is going to be U, UDFI which is subject to UBIT so let's say it's, let's say it's an apartment complex, 12-month leases. You would think that's rental income. But if it's inside of an IRA, and of course the syndicator is going to get, is going to leverage the investment money, yep. then you're just going to get your share of that income and whatever your share of that income is, you know, based on the debt ratio. Correct. You, does, does the investment provider provide that? They will provide a strong majority of the information. Occasionally, I have to ask them for some average balances, et cetera. But for the most part, it'll be a fairly straightforward transaction. And there's a common misconception that if it's a loss, I don't have to report it. That's not true. That's not true. You want to file it, and here's why. Mm. There is a 10-year time frame that the, that loss will carry forward as a passive activity loss. If that property is sold in, say, year six, and it's been showing a $4,000 loss every year, well, four times six, 24. 24, yeah. If you have a gain at that point, well, I want to be able to use some of those losses to offset that brand new UBIT on that sale of the property that was debt financed. Right, yeah. So if I don't file those returns and I don't report it, I'm not going to be able to carry that loss. Mm, okay. That's a special 
can't they cost segregate the property. Okay, so I get that. Um, that's helpful. The, uh, the only other thing left on our list is the pe- investing in a business. Yep. So let's say you want to invest in a restaurant. It's a food truck. I hope it's set up as a C-Corp. Exactly, yep. Um, do you mind if I touch on Rob's a little bit here? Sure. Okay. Rob's, um, it's R-O-B-S. It's called a rollover is business startup. Oh, yeah. We do them all day long. They're called Rob's for a reason because most people don't know how to operate them. If you have a good business background, I think they're great. Um, I know a lot of people that have been very, very successful with them. But make sure you capitalize. Make sure that you keep funds separate. We don't want to run into a situation where a distribution that should have gone out to the retirement account goes out to you personally. There's a ton of chaos that can happen. So if you engage in a Rob's, you need to have your advisors work along with you. It's going to be of the utmost importance, but you can make a ton of money by doing so. Great. That's yeah. That's consistent with the message we always give, you know, there's, it's a, there's a proven path. It's recognized, but there's important requirements that need to be followed at the beginning and throughout. You know, I I always say when clients come to me and, and they talk about wanting to open up their own business, there are people that are great at what they do. Um, and I mean, amazing employees, they're great at running this business or doing that as an employee. But some of them are horrible business owners. Sure. We spend a lot of time as advisors teaching them how to be business owners, coaching them along through it. It's not just tax returns. It's not just bookkeeping. It's advising. You know, we take on that CFO role. So we can guide you through that entire process from start to finish. If you don't ask us, we can't help. And I preach it all the time. If you don't ask us, we can't help. Um, The worst mistake you can do is making a huge move without getting investment advice. Good. Great message to end it with, Stephen. So thank you so much for your time. Let's um, put up the screen so people can see how they can contact you. And then I have a calendar on my website, so you can always, you know, always throw a time right on our calendar for a consultation. Um, emails are always great. Um, we're in the office all year long. We work with our clients constantly. Excellent. So, well, good, great. So, and right now you must be in Chicago. Yep. Yep. I'm okay. Over summertime. Yeah. Summertime in it's Chicago. So. All right. I guess, and I heard they. I think they're bringing back the baseball season. So. I haven't heard that yet. That I think I saw something on my phone. I got an alert that I think the baseball season is coming back. So I'm still pulling for football season. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, the Chicago yeah. Bears are supposed to play the Buccaneers this season. Oh, okay. So my wife, being from Tampa, is a Buccaneers fan. I see. And she's way too happy about having Brady on her team. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to I'm a Michigan man so I guess I got a new pro team to cheer for <laughs> with Brady going to Michigan but you must be a Bears fan I'm a Bears fan through and through yeah. I'm a Bears fan through and through but George, yeah. any questions that you guys might have or if your clients have any questions never hesitate to give me a call or if we need to hop on a conference call I'm always more than happy to thanks a million Stephen thank you so much no problem. Take care. If topics pop up, 
let me know. We can cover those. Okay, will do. Take care. Take care, George. Bye-bye.